0: Welcome back! We are talking about Season 2, Episode 8, and um, there's a lot that happens here. I'm gonna say um, it's not my favorite episode, but um, I think there's a lot of neat scenes. There's a lot to talk about, I think, because there's some stuff I just would have portrayed differently. But I think when we look at the series as a whole, we have to be really careful. And I think I said this at the beginning, too. We have to be careful not to kind of go into it as, you know, like, this should be the way I want it to be. Because, number one, we're not the writers. We're not the creators. And everybody sees and gets something differently from this series. And that's what I've really loved about The Chosen. Just talking to people and, and seeing what people have liked, their favorite scenes, what's moved them different scenes move different people different ways. And so I want to be careful not to be too critical of something that I think I would have done differently because it was done for a reason. Dallas has good reasons for doing the things he's doing. And even if it's something that I would have done differently, you know, it might've touched somebody in a way um, that I wasn't expecting or that didn't touch me. And so, um, yeah. So I think just kind of always knowing we're approaching this as a work of art that this isn't the scriptures and it should always drive us to the scriptures and so while there's things especially in this this episode that i would have portrayed differently um you know i'm not the writer i'm not the director and we all have our own opinions but some scenes really touched people in beautiful ways and i love that everyone has different perspectives so um so yes, another scene that was, was commonly... So our question beforehand, for those of you just joining us, our question beforehand in the chat was, what was your favorite scene from the second season? Because there were some really beautiful scenes. And a lot of the moms are pointing out that beautiful scene with Mary when she goes and takes care of Jesus that night. And just rem- remember that moment where the apostles were too busy fighting, right? They had lost track of Jesus. They had lost track of why they were there. And um, Mary brings it all back when she literally washes his feet. Right? She does the work of the disciple, the work that they are going to be called to do in the Last Supper. So um, so lots of beautiful, beautiful moments um, and really powerful, powerful moments. As we talked about with the last episode, I think a lot of these, these moments are times for us to examine our conscience and say, where would we be in this episode? Who, what character would we be? How would we be reacting? And so not to watch the chosen passively, but to watch it actively and see ourselves as disciples, as we're called to be and wonder who would I be, you know, would I be Andrew, would I be Peter, would I be Mary Magdalene and, and to really put ourselves actively into that call because we are called. Um, so let's start with a prayer and then we will launch into season two, episode eight, a little commentary on this last episode. So if you want to put where you're watching from, I see a lot of my Nashville friends. Hello, Paulette. It's really fun to see Nashville friends, but it's a lot of new friends, and I'm really grateful for the new watchers, the new listeners to the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, whether you're watching live or whether you're watching later, if you can give me a thumbs up, again, it seems really ridiculous to say, but that thumbs up really does help the algorithm of YouTube and will help other people find this Um, these videos to see if they want a Catholic commentary on The Chosen. So thumbs up, subscribing to the channel, um, all those good things will help the long run. So I appreciate it um, if you can give me a thumbs up. Okay, let's start with prayer and then we'll launch into episode eight. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. World without end, Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. So, episode eight, the last one, we're going to have to wait a long time for season three. Um, there is going to be a live tonight for those of you watching or listening, um, listening live on Sunday. There is a live on the chosen, um, on the chosen YouTube tonight to talk more about it, and I hope we get some updates about season three. But let's launch into our last episode. So, the opening scene. You know, we're used to now, I think, getting characters that we have know nothing about, right? People we don't know. And by now we're all thinking, who are these people gonna be? And so I was wondering if any of you guessed who this young man was going to be. Um, I know I did, we we're only missing one apostle. And so I thought, could this be Judas? Could this be Judas? Um, so I thought it was just to kind of jump to the end of the episode, because I'm assuming you've all seen it. Um, it was it was something wasn't it like when he said his name was judas it was like okay here we go right um you know if you're like me we've been waiting to um to to you know waiting to meet him and wondering like where is when's he coming when's he coming when's he coming um it took a lot longer i think for him to come than i expected but um but here he is and here we go so i'll have some thoughts at the end as i close on um you know some reservations I have about what may come of Judas's character storyline, but we'll talk about that at the end. Um, Mom said, I thought the older of the two would be Judas. And I agree, I wasn't sure at first, and then they seemed to be concentrating on the younger one, and I thought it's just Judas. Um, but yeah, I, I too couldn't decide which one would be Judas. Um, so this opening, um, you know, it, it seemed kind of a little odd and out there. Um, at first, when I first watched it, I thought the opening was a little long, to tell you the truth. And, um, you know, when I watched it a second time, I didn't think it, – it went faster. And so I think how how often that is, right? Like when you watch something the first time, you don't really know where it's going. And so I was like, why are these people selling land? And, you know, aren't we used to that now with, um, you know, not really knowing where these first scenes are, are going? Um, but was it interesting – and I meant to, to look this up um, – was it interesting, I well, I thought it was interesting that um, they posed, they pretended like they were buying land to create a cemetery. Um, and, you know, that's a lie, right? They're they're really buying it because it's going to be a salt mine. And isn't it interesting that, like, that's not a very lovely use of land. And I thought towards the 30 pieces of silver buying that land, you know, it was unclean money. And, and so, um, you know, going forward, his money... That money, you know, when he tries to give it back, will buy land for unclean. Per- I don't. know. I just thought that was an interesting connection, and maybe that they, they didn't mean that. But um, the I had a few um struggles with this little scene because the dismissal, like Judas's friend, is kind of dismissive of the emotional tie to the land and the idea of like the family tribal history, and maybe this was on purpose to kind of paint a picture of this guy but that is not that would have not been the jewish view of land at all this was very different um than the jewish view of land would have been very familial um you should not dismiss the importance of the tribe that you came from the family land in fact technically in leviticus 25 God forbids the selling of land because land is supposed to stay within the familial tribe. Um, That's a huge deal in Leviticus and in the law that family land. And we, we see it when we see the dividing up of land, the tribes get certain pieces of land and, you know, land has always been important to the Jewish people because that was the promise of Abraham. Notice the guy says covenant reminds me of the promises of Abraham. Yeah. There's a reason because that was the first promise made to Abraham was land. And so, you know, I don't want to get on my high horse politically, but one thing we don't, we don't understand as Americans living in the the 19th or 20th century or 21st century, I'd say for the next like, for the last like 300 years as Americans, we don't understand the importance of land to these cultures that we buy and sell land all the time, we move all the time. We don't, you know, some people have land that's in their family and it's important to them. But, you know, when I I first realized how important it was when I lived with um, priests from Lebanon, and I lived with priests from Lebanon for for a whole semester in Rome, and them talking about their land, that their families were living on land that they had lived on for a thousand years, no exaggeration. And, you know, one of, the, one of the monks was talking about how sad it was when his sister moved. And she moved so far away, they never saw her. Well, we found out later she moved like 30 miles away. But they never saw her. She moved to other land. Um, it, it, I think we, we don't appreciate what land was and what family land was. And that's why we're in a lot of the mess we're in. Um, is that we try to drop countries for these other cultures without realizing um, what land means. And so I thought it was a little anachronistic, unless they're trying to paint this old this Judas's friend as not understanding the Jewish, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it was odd when he was kind of dismissive of what tribe he was from. And um, again, like ideally in Leviticus, you are not allowed to sell your land. It it, it goes through inheritance. Um, even women would would pass the land through because it needed to stay in a tribe. And that was one of the things of the Jubilee year. And so if you read the law and read about the Jubilee year, every 50 years, the land would go back. Because they realized some people will have to give up their land because they're in debt, right? And so if you have to give up your land because you're in debt, guess what? Every Jubilee year, every 50 years, you get your land back. Why? Because land was that important. And so um, so I had a, a struggle with this. And again, it could be all done on purpose. But I just I don't think it was a a proper view of what the land would have been to men of that time i also got an a little annoyed that they said draw up the covenant he kept saying draw up the covenant which is what makes that man think of abraham um this is this is important because covenants and contracts are not the same thing and i don't believe and i did some little research i don't believe they would have used the word covenant for a land exchange um, because that would have been more of a contract. Why? Because covenants are actually a legal means of establishing kinship, and so you'd use the word covenant when there was a marriage, an adoption. Um, when you know that—that's the key of covenant is that there's a familial bond. Covenants are made with a liturgical rite. They're drawn up under oath in God's name. They're permanent. They're an exchange of persons for life right so a covenant is a very particular agreement um made between tribes made between people marriage is a covenant and so when he said drop the covenant i could be wrong again i i i always say i try to say in these that when i have a strong feeling about something i could be wrong because i'm not a jew a scholar of jewish history Um, And so I could be wrong about this, but my gut and my research tells me that a land exchange like this would be a contract, whereas a covenant was a specific term used for a much, 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 much more important thing like marriage. Okay. So I hope that that kind of, I don't know, I could be wrong about that. Um, So then I thought it was interesting when Judas and his friend are talking, um, you know, Judas really... Has a conscience in this bar, doesn't he? Um, You know, sooner or later we all become dust. You know, he's he's really reflecting on his life. And 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 Bobby, as you say in the comments, absolutely. Like he says, I what what I need is a life I can be proud of. Doesn't it rip your heart out? Don't you want to do something that will really matter, that will be remembered throughout history? Right. And so the irony is thick here, right? And so as Bobby says in the comments, that's where you know she gave it. You know, that's how she knew, right? He gave it away right there. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see the character development in this young man where he wants here to really use his life for good. Um, And he doesn't really want to swindle this man out of his money, right? Or out of his land. He has a conscience and he's reflecting on his life. And so I really think there will be an interesting character development for Judas here because what we see here seems to be a man who a young man who's really looking for something more and really has a conscience so it'll be interesting um the character of judas for me as i read the gospels has always really intrigued me and again we'll talk about that a little at the end um my own reflections of judas and why i want to be careful and see what dallas does with um with this character so we're back at the camp um jesus isn't with the disciples and they're upset this is another thing that didn't really resonate well with me Um, i don't i I don't know why jesus is never with them (laughs) um i understand that he went off by himself to pray i understand that he's curing people um it doesn't ring correctly to me that he would never be teaching his apostles you know these men have left everything to come follow him well he he needs to teach them about the kingdom um and so maybe we'll see that in season three maybe we'll see more um, but, um, you know, after we're saved by Christ, we learn from him, right? We, 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 we want to know everything about him. We study him. We read his scriptures. And so I feel like these apostles need to be taught. They need to be led. Their rabbi needs to teach them. And they don't just get to live together and fight. So I, I, don't, I don't know. That just didn't, I'm like, come on, Jesus, where are you? Um, but maybe that's just me. Again, this is just my opinion. This is just something I would do differently. And it's just, I'm just laying it out there. Um, I really loved this line from Thomas, though, when Thomas is talking to Tamar. Um, he says, they all love our rabbi and want to love him the right way. They just can't agree on what that way is. If that is not an observation on modern Christianity, I don't know what it is. Um... You know, so many Christians, so many Catholics, spend all their time arguing about the right way to live, about doctrine, about not even about doctrine, not even about important stuff, but about all the the fringe stuff of the faith. You know, all these Catholics, and I'm, I'm, I'm me too, right? We spend all this time arguing about stuff that, at the end of the day, like we say oh well it's because I really love Jesus that I want to make sure everybody else is doing the stuff that I you know like is 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 doing things the way I want them to do um you know every once in a while we get just like caught in these dumb and maybe it's just because I'm on Twitter um but those of you who are on Facebook same thing right like Christians get caught in these fights over stuff that doesn't matter and you know in the end, it's like, why are we all fighting with each other? Because we all love Jesus so much. We're trying to, we're fighting over what it means to love him. Um, I just thought that was a really, really, like, it's so ugly to us to watch the chosen and see the apostles fight. Isn't it like, isn't it really hard to, um, to like see like, Oh, stop fighting guys. You look so childish. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm fighting too, right? I'm that I'm those apostles that are fighting and bickering over really dumb things. Um So Christina brings up a really good point. She says it doesn't make sense he's never there, but the one symbol that I could think of is that we don't always see or feel Jesus close, but he's always there. Um he was all, like he was just over, you know, up on the hill with with Matthew, with all those beautiful snow-capped mountains. <laughs> What is it with the snow Mountains? mountains? Um, I really don't like the snow cat mountains. Um, but you're right. so he's close and they're they almost are ignoring that um, so so I think that's beautiful symbolism Christina, if I have to be okay with it um, but uh, but yes, absolutely like I think modern Christians you know they're they're all like we're all so different. And we're all trying to argue or we're all trying to love him, but we end up just arguing about the ways to love him. so anyway. Um, so this whole thing, and I'm not going to go into it with great detail, I'm just going to say I don't, again, this isn't my show. I'm not the writer. I'm not the director. I'm not the creator. It's fine that Dallas chose to portray the Sermon on the Mount this way. Um, I don't think this is how the Sermon on the Mount happened. The, the scouting for location, that seemed strange to me um you know they got these like very specific directions and then but they admitted like it's almost like he knows where it's going to be well is it because he knows where it's going to be and so he told them these specific things and so because he knows exactly where he wants to have it and he wants them to be his instruments like I could see that right like sort of like the feeding of the 5,000 right like he knows how he's going to feed these 5,000 but he wants the apostles to be his instruments I can't wait for that scene next season Um, so I could say, okay, but like the scouting for location, the building, the stage, the, um, handing out flyers. I I had a really big problem with that. Um, number one, Andrew doesn't want Tamar to preach from, you know, in a city street corner, but now he's okay handing out flyers, although he does, he is still really nervous in this episode. Um, where'd they get all this papyrus or parchment? I mean, Parchment, papyrus, and vellum are what are used at this time for writing and... Or animal hide. And they're it's not readily available from what I can tell. But yet they seem to have a lot of it, even though they could barely eat a couple episodes ago. Um, So why are they handing out flyers to people who are probably illiterate? Um, It it just didn't ring with me. Um, You know, when we read Matthew 5 or Luke 6... It it's, it seems to say he was coming. He was pre sorry. He was preaching and he was healing. Right. This comes right after. Do you remember episode three was just based on that verse from Matthew four. Um, this is two verses later. Matthew or Matthew five one. Um, he was just doing his thing and the crowds came. I mean that's the way it's depicted in scripture. So again, this isn't my series. He can depict it however he wants. Um, but I actually think it would have been. More dramatic for these crowds to come without being beckoned. And um, and I thought the the visual of all those people coming was beautiful. I loved that, right? Like they're they're but what if Jesus was just teaching the apostles? Like he, you know, he's just talking to them, and then all of a sudden the crowds come. Like I think that would have been really dramatic. And I think it would be more dramatic, actually, that these people have just heard by word of mouth and have come. And then he decided to sit down and teach them. So Matthew 5 simply says, great. So Matthew 4, 25, great cl- crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea, all the places he's been. Right. He's been all these places and from beyond the Jordan. OK, so he's been all these places. Great cl- crowds are following him seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying the beatitudes right so again i'm not the writer um but it did seem to be um yeah i just i i just don't like how it was depicted. Um, also, it's important in Matthew five that the beatitudes were taught. The Sermon on the Mount was taught with him sitting down. He sat down to teach. Why is that important? Because that's what a teacher does. Remember in the first season, Nicodemus he would sit right, and his 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 disciples were gathered around him. So the chair of authority, Moses Moses sat to teach. Jesus sits to teach. Um, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew's gospel because Matthew's gospel is that gospel that shows us the fulfillment of Jesus um, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus as the new Moses um, and that's a really important part of the Sermon on the Mount Sermon on the Mount Jesus is Moses Jesus is the new Moses why because he's giving the new law um, you know in in the Sermon on that the Sermon on the Mount is a big deal and that's why you know they're talking it up like I said in the last episode, I don't know whether Jesus would have said like, okay, I'm going to give this great big sermon and it's going to be the, that, you know, I think he just did it. And I think he did it again and again and again and again and again. I think he was teaching these things, um, all the time because the Beatitudes are huge. They're revolutionary. And we'll talk about that. Um, they are revolutionary. And so, um, So, Jay, you ask a good question. Why would a huge crowd gather spontaneous where he was not as good yet and in a less populated area, but not at Lazarus rising when he was more famous and near huge Jerusalem? So there were many people at Lazarus's um, resurrection, all the people that had come to mourn Lazarus. So there were a lot of people. Um, And then after, but they didn't come like they didn't know Lazarus was going to rise from the dead right so they are be risen from the dead so they didn't come um but the after Lazarus rises from the dead is re- rose from the dead is risen from the dead is resurrected um you do have people being then punished for following Christ and so there is a surge in popularity we see right before then um everything goes um and so so I think people, we know from the feeding of the 5,000, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that there were thousands of people that would have come because he's the hot thing. Like, everyone's hearing about these healings, and he's traveling throughout the countryside. And so all these people from all these different towns would have come to find out who, who he was. Um, Christina says, "I was struck by the crowd sitting down. I thought it would have been the opposite. Usually, I mean, I think they, like, maybe they would have sat down. But you're right. the The teacher is the one who sits. Um, didn't Jesus sort of sneak back to Bethany? Oh, that's about Lazarus. Yeah. So, so he went back to Bethany just to raise Lazarus from the dead. But um, okay, so that's kind of my pet peeve about this: the stage, the the the, the fancy outfit, um, all of that. Like, I I think." Um, And, okay, this is interesting. My mom just said I did not like the way they pictured the Beatitudes. And I'm going to talk about that because I loved the way they picked the Beatitudes. Um, So let's go back to him talking to Matthew because that's when we're going to talk about the Beatitudes. Um, So the back and forth with Matthew, again, is a way to unpack the Sermon on the Mount in a way that Jesus just isn't reading the fifth chapter of Matthew. So we've talked about this before, but these writers have the very difficult task of trying to give gospel preaching, give gospel teaching without just reading the gospel, right? Um, and so it's a way for them to present it and unpack it. So Matthew's gonna stand in our place. That's why he's asking these questions. He's asking the questions that we're gonna ask. So we have the beautiful depiction of the salt, right? He says, why salt? And so Jesus is able to kind of unpack that in a beautiful way. Why does he call his followers the salt of the earth? this is where I would differ and I would have had some of the presentation of some of the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount and then his apostles then asking him later what does that mean and him unpacking it um again I'm not a writer so I mean I'm a writer but I'm not a writer of tv series and so maybe that wouldn't go well I mean maybe that would be anticlimactic to have like this amazing sermon and then have him unpack it later but that's what we see with the parable for this, of the sower, for example. That's what we see happening in scripture. Jesus presents this teaching to the multitudes, and then when they're back at home, the apostles are like, what was that about? And Jesus then teaches them and unpacks it for them. Um, and so I think I would have rather had this unpacking happen in a different way with the apostles, because the poor apostles aren't getting any <laughs> teachings, but that's just me. Um, I love where Matthew's weighing the good news and the bad news and he's like it seems like there's not a lot of good news um, like do you see how like heavy your sermon is um, and I think it's a good reminder to us go read the Sermon on the Mount um, you know it is the good news of Jesus Christ but that doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it's not revolutionary so one thing I really loved was you know he said I'm not here to be sentimental I'm here to start a revolution not a revolt But a revolution that he points out that there's going to be a radical shift a radical shift and matthew points out like praying for your enemies right i meant to grab this book and hold it up but i forgot and i forgot to save it um in the images for book recommendations but i would like to recommend um the seven revolutions by mike aquilina and james papandrea um It's a book about how Christianity changed the world. I just recommended it to somebody this morning. And as I was finishing up my notes, I was like, yeah, this book, we need to all read this. Um, We don't understand the radical shift of thinking that Christianity brought into this world. Um, That loving your enemies, that is not what was happening in the culture of the time in the greco-Roman culture, even to some extent in the Jewish culture. Now sometimes we make too much of a um, shift that Christianity brought something new that Judaism doesn't have. and I want to be careful about that because um, that's not entirely true, but that um, I mean when it comes to like loving your enemies, that there is a lot in the law about loving the foreigner and welcoming the foreigner. and so I don't want to make kind of a shift that is anti-semitic in any way, but, we have to remember that Christianity brought something radically different into that time and place. They brought things like loving your enemies. They brought things like respect for women. They brought things like respect for the worker. And so the, in the book seven, Revel, seven Revolutions, he goes through the way that Christianity has shifted our frame of mind and can today. like We still need the shift in these seven ways. But it's so many times we take for granted what Christianity has done. Loving your enemies, that was a radical, radical, radical shift. That's a huge, huge deal. And so I like how that was emphasized. Um, I laughed out loud when Jesus said, Did you really think I was going to say, Hey, everyone, just keep doing what you've been doing for the last thousand years. It's been going so great. I laughed out loud at that. Um, it's awesome. It's 100% true. Um, you know, it was a little American sounding. In fact, Jonathan almost lost his accent, it seemed. It seemed like he lost his accent a little saying it. Um, But it reminded me a couple weeks ago, my pastor said in his homily, you know, Jesus didn't become man because we were doing such a good job, right? Um, And so remembering that. um, Oh, I'm seeing a question in the chat. It's called, I think it's Seven Revolutions. um, How Christianity changed the world and can change it again by Mike Aquilina. Um, So Seven Revolutions. Um, I'm just checking over the chat to see what I've missed. Um, yes, yes. So it's, it's really important to realize, and we're going to talk about that right now. Um, so people are bringing up, yes, like film, TV shows are this visual medium. And so we like, we don't want Jesus just reading the fifth chapter of Matthew And we need reminders of what he's talking about, right? Or, like, if we're not getting visuals of what he's talking about, our brains are going to shut off and we're going to go to, like, look at our phone or something. So we need those visual reminders. Um, And so my uncle does point out, and I think this is really important too, the way he depicted the Sermon on the Mount as this big kind of sermon um, which kind of may seem foreign in some ways to us as Catholics more than our Protestant brothers and sisters. I also had that thought that, like, this is a very f- odd way for us to be seeing this, but to our Protestant brothers and sisters with revivals and with, you know, the, the core of their Sunday celebration is a big sermon, right? And so it might not have been as odd to them, but I have been hearing, I heard from a non denominational, um, uh, person who's been following my stuff that she too thought this was kind of a strange way to depict it but what my uncle points out is that this really does show what a huge deal the sermon on the mount was and that's what he's kind of trying to depict this kind of revolutionary life-changing revolution radical shift and that's important um okay um i like his quote where he says this will make sense to some but not to others i don't want passive followers right I think that's a really good point because so often um we do just think we can be christian and just kind of be spoon-fed and just kind of you know yeah i'm christian i go to mass on sunday or i'm christian i go to church on sunday and without realizing that we can't be passive because a passive follower of christ will no longer be a follower of christ because the world is going to whisk us down the river right i mean the the world is a river and if we're not swimming upstream we're downstream and i think that's a good reminder for the spiritual life it's a good reminder for us as followers of christ um The Beatitudes scene, I really loved. Um, First of all, I like that he pointed out that it was a map, um, a a place where to find him, where people should be able to find him. Um, I think sometimes we misunderstand the Beatitudes, and we see the Beatitudes as, like, commandments. Like, go mourn. Go be, you know, seek righteousness. Um, You know, go be poor in spirit. When, rather than commandments, because we still... We still obey the Ten Commandments. They are more of the fruits of the way we live. And so we're all gonna mourn. But if we are living the Christian life, if we are, um, you know, I mean, we have to to mourn with Christ, right? If we're living the Christian life, our mourning will be rewarded. Um, You know, like it's a call, it is a call to be merciful. It is a call to seek righteousness. It is a call to live as if we're poor in spirit. But so often it's not something necessarily that we're like a destination, but a path, a path and a way to see the what, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ, right? It looks like those who mourn. I mean, as as followers of Christ, we are gonna mourn. We are gonna be persecuted, but we can. where do we see the followers of Christ but those who are merciful, right? Those who are seeking righteousness. Um, and so I thought that was really powerful. If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. And I really loved how his friends manifested each beatitude because we've concentrated a lot, especially in our discussions, about the faults of these men right, and women and what they've done wrong and what we disagreed with them and the way they've messed up. And to see just a little flashback of season two and to see these men and women actually manifesting the beatitudes, I thought was really powerful. Um, I thought it was a really powerful way for us to see, even in ways like, I think it was maybe the merciful one when they're welcoming Mary Magdalene back. Um, there were a couple where I was like, wow, I, I hadn't even connected that virtue with that scene or that, that character. And, um, you know, James and John, they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They're just doing it in the wrong way. And so I thought it was a really beautiful way to illustrate the Beatitudes to remind us that, you know, I can be pretty hard on these guys right now, but they're, they're trying to follow Christ. They're trying to love Christ and they're succeeding too. Um, they're not just a bunch of mess ups and failures. And so I thought I really, I thought that was the most striking scene from this episode that, um, him kind of looking at his apostles in that way and seeing maybe that's why he called some of them, you know, like he called James and John maybe because they hunger and thirst for righteousness and he wants to correct that and make them hunger for righteousness and not just for revenge, right? Um, So I really loved that scene with the Beatitudes and how Dallas chose to depict the Beatitudes, that they weren't just words, they weren't just spoken words, but that there was this visual of what it means to live these crucial, life changing, mission oriented characteristics. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I thought it was really powerful. Um, so then we have the crowd coming. Like I said, I think the crowd would actually be more powerful if it hadn't been advertised and they were just, you know, on the hillside. Looking over the Sea of Galilee, maybe he's telling him a parable, and then they all come. Like I think that could that would have been very powerful. Um, we get to see Eden and Peter again. I'm glad that Eden is reunited with Peter. Confused as to why Eden can't follow with them. Um, you know, in a, from a Catholic point of view, um, you know, we believe that if Peter and Eden were, if Eden was still alive at this point, which we don't know if she was, if she was still alive at this point, they would have for some somehow given up their marriage um rights in a sense because we know that peter says like what about us who've given up our faith so maybe peter and eden would be living celibate lives at this point um you know we don't know for sure but because celibacy was not um Celibacy in the in the Catholic priesthood is it was not a thing in the early church, and I think we should be honest about that. It doesn't help us to insist that that's a case when it wasn't a case in the early church. But it's just not historically um, it's not historically uh, authentic of us to to demand it. But I think there is in in a way that Peter um, you know sacrificed his marriage if she's still living, and so maybe that's why Eden's not with them. Um, but I don't know. I, I would be interested, um, and maybe, you know, I'd be interested in finding out from Dallas why isn't Eden, if these other women are traveling with them, why isn't Eden traveling with them? Um Jamie points out, I found it helpful when praying with the Beatitudes that those images come up. I love little James and Thaddeus as an example of being meek. I had forgotten that till like as just now as I'm talking, I'm like, there was a really powerful image that I'd forgotten, and that was it. Um, we don't hear a lot about James and Thaddeus. They're there, and we know that James struggles you know, with his own health and healing. And so I agree. When they showed them, I was really touched, and that was the one that I thought, I have not thought of that, but they are. And meekness is one of those examples. Um, I think meekness is one of those virtues that is totally underestimated in our culture today. We see meekness as weakness. And I actually gave a talk on Joan of Arc, a virtual talk and drew, drew on Joan of our, Joan as being meek which is most people would not say she's meek right she's a soldier she's a leader but what is meekness really about and meekness is about um you know finding our strength in the Lord and um trusting in the Lord and I I love James and Thaddeus I thought that was a great example of they manifest this virtue in their acting and in their lines in a way that it's not up front, center. I'm meek, um, obviously, because that's not meekness. But I thought it was such a brilliant character development that I hadn't even see- seen that coming, but it made so much sense instantly when, it, when I saw that depiction. So thanks, Jamie, for bringing that up. Um, Bobby says, I don't. we don't know what Peter's wife was like, but I love how they portrayed Eden. I agree, Eden's like my favorite character. That's probably why I wanted traveling with them, because I miss her. Um, Oh, that's true. So my uncle points out that Eden may still be taking care of her mother and she might be coming later in the series. I forgot about that. She does have her mother. And even though her mother's not sick, um, she still needs someone to take care of her. So I forgot about that. So yes. Um, Okay. So finishing up the Beatitudes and of course he turns to Matthew. Matthew is a big fan favorite. I know from all of you watching, you always defend Matthew to me. Um, And so I know everybody probably loved that, that Jesus sensed, you know, Matthew too is being persecuted and... Matthew smiles and Jesus smiles and it's 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 a really beautiful moment. I think it's a really powerful moment. Um, okay, so Eden and Peter are reunited, and then um notice Gaius and Atticus are both there. Um, and they kind of look at each other like, what are you doing here? Um, I loved that. I loved when they, you know, they sensed each other and uh acknowledged each other. They're both intrigued. Um I loved seeing Zebedee and Salome again, and I thought that was such a parent thing that, like, they're excited that their son is in the in crowd. It really made me like reflect on if you knew one of the disciples, much less like one of the disciples was your kid, like how excited that would be. That you know, like you get to be with Jesus all the time, and you get to be part of this great adventure. And you know, you you see that with even parents whose whose sons are priests or daughters or sisters. There's that like real like good pride right there's that proud parent moment where you are working for the kingdom and you can say like i know someone working for the kingdom so i loved that moment between zebedee and salome um i didn't so much like jesus like seeming nervous i know we talked in a couple episodes ago how like dallas portrayed jesus working on his sermon in a sense that he was fully human and so just like he had to work to build the fire he didn't just call fire down from heaven even though he could have he worked to you know, build the fire. He's also working to build the sermon, and I understand that. Um, I just don't like how nervous he seemed. And he was like, "If I mess up, um, we know he can't mess up." So, um, yeah. So again, it's an incarnation thing. It's a mystery. We can disagree with how the incarnations presented. Um, you know, like Dallas likes to point out, for two thousand years we haven't really, you know, we've argued about the incarnation. Comments on Facebook aren't going to change his mind. I understand that. Um, so that's just an artistic depiction that I didn't, I didn't care for. Um, so I'm gonna finish up by talking about Judas. So as we wrap up, because sometimes I miss your comments or questions. If you have any questions about this episode, or if you have any comments or questions about the entire season, throw them in the chat now so that when I finish talking about Judas, I will see them and um, I will respond to them because otherwise, sometimes when I sign off, the comments come up and I regret not seeing people's comments. So just saying, if you have a comment, question about this episode or this season, throw it in the chat. Also, if you would wanna do a wrap up of the entire season on live YouTube, let me know. I don't know when we could do it, but let me know either in the chat or direct message me on Instagram or message me on Facebook if you'd want to do a wrap-up of the whole second season. I think we've gone through the episodes pretty closely, and so I don't know if there'd be much to talk about. But if that's something that would interest you, throw it in the chat. Um, but again, if you have any questions, throw them in the chat now so I don't miss them. So just to finish, to, to, to kind of sum up Judas, this new character of Judas, um, I'm going to wait and see how this all comes about. But the way it happened with you know him coming across the the sermon and then jesus welcoming or no sorry the one of the apostles welcoming him so peter gets introduced to him who brings him in is it nathaniel i forget i didn't write it down so one of the the one of the apostles sees him says oh you're the one that helped us get the land introduced him to people introduces him to peter they tell him to stick around that's great I kind of liked that like unique way that he's invited in I hope that he is still called by Christ so one of my fears is does that mean he does he just start following does he start just following around and he's never actually called by Jesus now why would I not like that number one we know in scripture that he's called Right? Jesus goes and prays about the 12 apostles and then he comes and he calls the 12. So we know that Judas was called by Christ, just like Matthew was, just like Peter was, right? We don't know what that call looks like, obviously. Like, we don't see the call of Judas the way we see the call of Nathaniel, for example, in Scripture. Um, But we know that Judas was called by Christ. Why is this important? Why is it important that Judas just doesn't start hanging around, um, you know, and is just kind of there? It's important because Judas was called to be one of the leaders of the church. That's vital. Judas was called by Christ to be one of the leaders of the church. Judas chose otherwise. Judas was called to be a saint. And so often we talk about Judas as if he has this, like, well, he was chosen to be the one to betray Jesus. He was the one chosen to give up Jesus. So like there had to be one guy, right? I hate that like reduction of Judas because it, it denies, first of all, it denies free will. Um, but second of all, it denies that every single one of us is called to be a saint. Judas was called to be Saint Judas. Who made the decision otherwise? Judas. Judas the there's a there's a great saying that the the um the condemnation to hell is written in your own penmanship you write that judas chose that the real tragedy of judas is that he chose it after he could have come back for forgiveness so he realizes what he's done right when he gives the silver back and he despaired of the lord's forgiveness Judas could have still been St. Judas. Like, that's the great mystery of God's forgiveness. That's hard for us. (laughs) That's hard for us to feel, isn't it? That's hard for us to accept, right? That Judas could have led to Christ's death and still been St. Judas. But that's what we believe as Christians. That God's mercy is so great, he would have forgiven Judas. And Judas could have still been a great saint. Sit with that for a while. Sit with that. If you have a grudge against somebody... If you have a hard time forgiving people, if you, if someone's hurt you or hurt someone you love and you have a hard time letting go, sit with that for a while, that Jesus was ready to forgive Judas. And if Judas would have repented, if Judas would have asked for forgiveness, we would have St. Judas today. It's a good reminder. It's a good examination of conscience for our own ability to forgive. God's willing to forgive it all if we come to him and ask. If we have to ask for the healing, right? Remember that from earlier in the season? You have to ask for the healing. You have to desire the healing. You have to ask for the mercy. And so, Jesus is called to be a great saint. He chose otherwise. Jesus called him to be one of the twelve. And I really, really hope that we see that call. That we see Christ calling him for that reason. So I hope that makes sense. But that was my that's my only reservation with Judas's storyline in this episode, is that it seems like he's just going to start being one of the twelve, and I want to see him called. I want to see that moment with Christ, and hopefully we'll see that in episode or in season three. Um, so I'm gonna just scan um, scan that. Um, yeah, Dan, it's all Adam's fault. No, I'm just kidding um jackie says for some reason i've always thought of judas as the outsider um i think absolutely and i think part of that is um some of that may be the way he's depicted in art obviously right like he's always the one on the other side of the um on the other side of the um table at um at the last supper right like everyone's on one side and judas is on the other side We're like who's that man that dark man in the shadows um so I think it's partly because of the way he's depicted in art but um it also like we know he was a thief and he'd steal from the money bag that's straight from scripture and so we have little lines from scripture you know they always say like not the iscariot like whenever we talk about jude thaddeus well not the iscariot Um, or he's depicted, you know, he is, he gets mad when, you know, the, the precious nard is used to anoint Jesus because it could be sold to the, you know, the money could be given to the poor. Well, no, he used to steal from the money bag and he wanted the money. Um, so he is always kind of depicted, um, as this kind of outsider, um, because of where he's headed, you know, like we know the end of the story. Um, and we know there are things, you know, and interestingly enough in today's gospel, so today, Sunday, August 22nd, we, in the Catholic Church, our, our gospel was from the end of John 6, and they stopped reading right before. So we hear the tragic John 6, verse 66, which is many stopped following him, right? Many stopped following him. Why? Because of the teaching on the Eucharist. It was too much for them. And so he has thousands of people following him at the multiplication of the loaves. By the end of the chapter, many have stopped following him, and he only has his apostles at this moment. Um... So when, when does Judas, so it says many stop following him. The next verse is that Judas too hardened his heart against our Lord. The doctrine on the Eucharist is the, is the beginning of Judas betraying our Lord. He gets that that hardness of heart right then at the doctrine of the Eucharist. And when will he betray him? At the Last Supper. So the Eucharist is integral to um not just our lord's ministry but also eventually to the cross right that this is the this is the teaching that's too much for judas um okay anything else any other questions thoughts comments about season either episode eight or season two as a whole um it's been really great to have these conversations and over the last few weeks it's been really great to have new people join us and so welcome to everybody who's joined us. If you've missed past episodes, they're all on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or here on YouTube. And you can go back and catch up until season three. So um, we will see you all back for season three. Stay close to um, either social media or Substack. You can find all the links in the description of YouTube. But um, I have a, a newsletter through Substack that I'll always advertise when we're about to start with season three. You can follow me on Instagram, Joan dot m dot watson um and then I'm on Facebook as well and so you can see um you know when we're gonna start up with season three um for whenever whenever season three comes back out. So thank you all for joining me. I hope this has been fruitful. Tell your friends who have watched The Chosen if they are interested in kind of a Catholic perspective to check out the, the the podcast. And as always if you can give me that thumbs up on the YouTube channel. I know it sounds silly but it really does help people find YouTube video. So if you can give me a thumbs up, follow me on YouTube for other videos. Before season three comes out, we're going to have to do something else. So um, all the links are in the description of the YouTube video. As always, um, you know, Patreon is how um, I'm able to support a lot of this right now. And so if you're not a patron, please consider supporting me through Patreon. The link is in the YouTube video description. And um, for my patrons, I will see you tomorrow night when we discuss the parables. So patron Bible study Monday night, We're going to be looking at the parables and we're going to have an optional little cocktail class 15 minutes beforehand where we will make a cocktail that I created based on the sower. So if you're a patron, I'll see you tomorrow night and everyone else stay tuned and I will see you when season three comes out. If not sooner, God bless.